how you can open the show. Right. That's how you know it's going to be a good show. You're already full. <laughs> See? Yeah, chefs took that as a... Um, <laughs> Yes, thank you. You know, we're into it. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the Super Puppy Podcast. My guest today is the illustrious, the incomparable Sheldon Scott. Everybody, let's give it up for Sheldon. Thank you. You forgot vivacious. Oh, vivacious and voluptuous. (laughs) These lumps. Um, welcome to the show. So what I like to do is to get uh, get us warmed up, is to say the name of the show three times fast. Oh. Okay? A lot of people can't do it. They think they can. Their lips are moisturized, okay. stretched. The name of the show is Super Puppy Podcast, Super Puppy Podcast, Super Puppy Podcast. You. Super Puppy Podcast, Super Puppy Podcast, Super Puppy Podcast. Yes! That means you belong here. Okay. <laughs> so today's show is called, are you ready? The Art of Shade. Shade. Everybody loves some good shade. Shade. Shade is so funny. It's one of those things where you hear it and then you have to question yourself. Like, was that shady? Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It doesn't just ride. If it rides, then that's a read. Yes. But if you have to be like, just try to play me. Yeah. That is the shade. We're gonna get (laughs) into the shade. Not quite the tea, but we're gonna get into the shade a little later on. We're going to talk to Sheldon Scott as an artist, as a curator, as a community leader. Is there anything else you wish to add to your repertoire? No. Just regular old man. Look. Just here. Look, so humble and humble. Let's add that. Humility. We're going to get into your artwork. We're going to get into your art form. Um, we're going to pub Sheldon Scott. There you go. Sheldon Scott Studios.com. Make sure you check it out. There's a beautiful artwork on there. We're going to get into that. We're going to also have you read a little passage for us today. Okay. From the New Testament. Okay. Okay, don't don't get confused, listeners. This is not a Bible thumping podcast. Yes. But you know, we do have a universal faith that we're gonna reach into from time Welcome to time. to the Bible hour. <laughs> right. It is Sunday. <laughs> it is Sunday. Super Sunday. So let's just jump right in. Sheldon, I know you as an artist. Please, as an artist, would you just limit it to being an artist or is there a specific type of artistry? I know that you do sculpture, you do spoken word, spoken narrative, I'm sorry, because spoken word is quite different. You're not yeah, one of those. Who you ask, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Snap your finger. Okay. And talk clap, about snap. talking metaphors. We're not. We're not I talking just that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wrapped in a scarf, okay. just fanning oneself mm-hmm. with a napkin. And my passion, love, love all over my body. It's always sex, wanna... but Boom. a metaphor for syrup. It's like syrupy, sweet, yeah. chocolate and caramel. But not like. Real maple syrup, like Cairo syrup. <laughs> right, like, yeah, that syrup that was made, that, you know, that not even nobody. out your mama, like that that wick syrup. Yeah, syrup, that's you know, clear, not brown. Wick. Yeah, exactly. It's not brown. That's what that is. Because all the brown comes from the melanin. See, there you go. It comes from the melanin in my body, See? body, body. Yeah. Honey, you, you want my melanin. Actually, so no. spoken word, we could add that okay. too there. Because that was pretty good. That was pretty good. We got photography. I do photo-based work. I would call myself a photographer. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I take the term artist. Um, um, it's not all political. 
Um, it's actually quite organic. Uh, my first creative expression started through spoken word, through storytelling in particular. Um, and um, I, you know, have since explored um, the fine art practice of performance art mm -hmm. and actually making objects that relate to the performance. And those objects could be sculptural, photo-based, um, installation, um, ephemera work, and just uh, general objects. But I also write um, creative nonfiction writing, um, and um, it just... I, I think that designation as artist, um, I think, is completely fair mm -hmm. um, for me because, and you know, and I, I really appreciate the fact of being able to dance around with different mediums, yeah, um, to certain degrees. You know, um, you know, it's 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 pretty tough, and you can see there are a lot of people with those practices where, you know, they they, they paint, and they also make sculpture. They may make video art as well too. Mm -hmm. um, they may work in ephemeral art practice, like some type of performance. So. It's, you know, I think what it does is just allows people to um, engage the most appropriate um, support system and medium for whatever the work or the message it is that they're they're trying to deliver. This so is inspiring. Artist is good. Yeah, artist you know? is good. Okay, so as an artist, what is your opinion of the state of art right now? Now this could Ooh. be like DC or it could be world art. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Um, you know, uh, art is uh, probably right now, I think, I feel like really regarded as one of the um, last bastions of democracy, mm -hmm. um, the last batch, uh, or last bastion for true representation, true inclusivity. Um, you know, a lot of people have... Um, turn to art as that one final institution where uh, hope actually still lives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we we we've lost over recent times our our um, our faith or our confidence in the institutions of religion and finance and certainly fucking politics. Mm -hmm. Like you know, there are a lot of like big systems. You know, education, um, policing, safety. There are a lot of big institutions in which like we've all just lost faith in, mm -hmm. and um, I've seen a lot of people really starting to respond, engage to art as being a space where um, you can come and find hope and, and find engagement and find yourself, um, and, and 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 actually, you know, um, express yourself too. Well, yeah, but you know, but also have some kind of connection to what is human and what is left. I think like you know, in the digital world now, it's very easy to. Um, lead a life free of empathy, mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, you know, a major function of uh, being human and, 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 and humanity in a broad sense. And there are not a lot of institutions that, you know, breed or create space for empathy to thrive, you know. So um, it's just, it's, it's, it art, I think, just really is now and probably becoming hopefully more so a place where people can actually connect with humanity in a way that um, is is faithful. I love that. Connect with humanity. Okay, so as an artist, as you connect with humanity, what is your voice as an artist specifically? You know, um, yeah, my voice is a very personal one. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, empathy has always been a major driving force in, in my practice, whether it's storytelling, whether I'm, I'm writing or um, it's a performance art piece 
or it's adorable work that I'm producing. I'm really interested in creating art experiences where anyone and everyone can find themselves in this work. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's how you know you build a relationship and that's how you scale um, effective empathy um, by allowing everyone to see your work. So like my experience growing up a little black gig, Geechee boy in the rural south, poor, um, as distinct as it sound and as you know quote unquote unique experience it might be at the true base of it and I you know I, I really love Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm -hmm. and I think that the most important part of that is like the base like the very basic human desires that we all want yeah you know if I can create a body of work that comes out of that space so that someone who may have grown up on the Upper East Side some heiress you know, will see in my own story um, herself reflected. And, you know, and that's just like focusing on things that I think all humans um, are really interested in and having and engaging and being a part of. And that's like the idea of belonging, mm -hmm. you know, the sense of family, um, the sense of like identity and like, you know, the, the challenges in finding your identity and dealing with your identity and rectifying your identity, especially when it's one of that contrary to like the um, dominant narratives. You know, everyone can have that, uh, can share that experience of being in that space. Um, you know, I feel like Moonlight, which is one of probably the greatest recent um, examples of strong storytelling, does mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a story about two, you know, two black men, um, you know, arguably, arguably gay, um, and, um, you know, from this very particular space in Miami. Um, and, you know, out of the six times that I went to that movie, I was just... Six times? Yeah, in the theater. Oh, I love it. I was just floored at the diversity of the audience, mm -hmm. you know, and what that really said, I really, you know, kind of remarked on is the strength of storytelling because, you know, as distinct as that story was, in particular it was um, that there were people who were white, straight, Mm -hmm. Had no um, real connections to the young, characters. Yeah. No real connection to, to, to any of the characters in it, particularly since there were no white characters in that movie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, able to find themselves in the story. Mm -hmm. Because the story was really about first loves. And who doesn't have a story about first loves? Right. And who doesn't understand what it means to like never stop loving a person and to spend like decades and decades like constantly being reminded of this person and, yeah. and, and what it means to reconnect with that person and it's just you know and that's what great storytelling does it doesn't limit access but it actually broadens access I love it, I love it. okay this is great um, is there a difference like taking into account the first question which was about the state of art in your opinion and then now your voice so is there a distinct dif difference between being a black artist in the art field or like do you Feel it? Oh, absolutely. It's real. It's, it's, I mean, it literally is palpable. You know, the thing about blackness is that it's something that, um, you know, blackness is undeniable. And when I mean that, I don't mean like, you know, your personal relationship to blackness and trying to deny your blackness. But blackness as an, as an act, as a presence, as a practice, mm -hmm. will not be denied. No. You know, blackness will always find its way to the, and that's because, um, blackness as a concept has fought really hard to be alive. To exist. Yeah. <laughs> like, so when something... Can I be black, please? Yeah. When something, <laughs> that, no, when something that concentrated in that powerful exists, it's almost impossible to wield. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just have to learn how to deal with that. And, you know, it's like no matter what it is, no matter what I do, um, blackness will always find its way through. 
It's always, you know, it's like that, you know, it's like that crazy-ass cousin that no one invites anywhere, but the motherfucker shows up <laughs> always. every time. All time, you right? Know, you know, waiting on everybody, like, yeah, I heard you had a cookout today. <laughs> Is this some chicken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what time y'all getting started? Y'all supposed to say, like, y'all say I was going to get started at 4. But <laughs> <laughs> you know everything while you asking questions. It's 2.30, exactly. <laughs> What you doing um, y'all, y'all ain't seasoned chicken yet? So, um, it really is, though. It's, it's, it, and so it really does make any experience, I think, in every experience, distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not anything that we necessarily created, but we, we deal with it, and we own it, and we work with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, in the art world, just like many other spaces, you know, your blackness is, you know, kind of the thing that, that leads you, or people lead you, and it's not that it's intentional, it's not like you set out on an agenda, it's like, oh, I'm going to be a black artist. You know, if you're an artist and like, your skin is black, then, you know, it's just... It's what it is. It's just what it is. Yeah. It really is an assessment, and it's a... You know, my work obviously deals a lot with race. It doesn't deal with race exclusively. Mm-hmm. I, I say that my work plays in the intersection of race, economics, and sexuality. Um, and, you know, but race is, you know, race as a construct has been something that has informed every fiber of, um, of being in this country. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, as I, I think it would be futile for you to attempt to avoid that. But the thing is, like, how do you work it? Yeah. You know, like, you know, you have race. Race doesn't have you. Okay, I love so, it. So, um, you know, yeah, it definitely informs, you know, the work that I do, for sure, because that, you know, the work is autobiographical and uh, undeniable, part of my, undeniable part of my identity is race, for sure. Yeah. But it's just not everything. Yeah. Um, you know, and, it, and it's just, you know, I don't think it's anything that needs to be compromised or anything. It's just, it's just a fact. It's just. It is what it is, right? Like you can't look at me and assume that I'm anything but black. Like I, it's, it's what I come with, you yeah. know. It's like I love that. Okay, this is great. So, as an artist, when was your first opening? Tell us about your first exhibit. Was it an, was it an exhibition? Was it? Well, yeah. So my first, I mean, like I said, you know, I started out like um, doing storytelling first, and then um, I really wanted to offer more support to my narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you go up there and you're storytelling, it literally, you know, people come and buy a ticket, and it's a it's a contract, and um, you have this obligation to entertain, you know, whatever that might be, right? Know, using humor or using drama, whatever it is, you know, the the, the agreement is that you will entertain mm-hmm. someone, and I really wanted to be removed from that. I wanted to be removed from that responsibility of having to entertain yeah I wanted to bring in abstraction into my work I wanted meanwhile to, I'm like give me all the okay. opportunities okay. to entertain yeah. <laughs> I'm here to entertain you right. y'all ready to laugh um so um yeah so I wanted to be relieved of that and I wanted to give more support to my narrative I feel like my narrative had you know I felt like you know what I was doing with storytelling was like a styrofoam plate mm-hmm. and I really needed some heavy china to support you know like yeah when you go in your mom's house and you get the real plate and you're like what the fuck are you doing with the real plate right you know it's like I ha- I you know I had to grab a real plate and that and that real plate came in the form of um, performance art mm-hmm. you know it gave me an opportunity to bring in repetition into my work bring in um, some choreography and movement videos and other elements that I wasn't using in storytelling mm-hmm. and uh, my first um, storytelling experiment <laughs> happened in 2012 mm-hmm. at the Emerge Art Fair and then 
you know, I just, it was completely ephemeral. Uh-huh. I didn't make anything. You just got up there and did and just, Yeah, no, okay. no, I, I, you know, I worked on it, but like oh. I didn't make any objects. It oh, was gotcha. just a performance. Okay. That's all it was. So mm-hmm. when it was done, it was done. There was no residue. There was no ephemera. There was nothing. It was just Thank gone. you, and I'm gone. Yeah. Right, okay. So. Drop the mic. Yeah, in 2013, I came back again, and that's when I actually first exhibit visual arts. Um, visual fine arts uh, parts of my practice and that was the first sculptural work where I did which was like a um, it was a um, self portraiture and sculpture mm-hmm. where I like, had these jars of like sugar cotton and dirt and it was a representation, representation of me and I set it up like an end cap at a grocery store mm-hmm. and it was basically like you know my dealing with the process of commodification and becoming a product and creating a product and then photo work was also a part of that as well too so my first official exhibition was in Emerge um, in 2013 mm-hmm. that's where the photo based work and the sculpture work were first exhibited I love it so I was looking at SheldonScottStudios.com that's right and I saw two things that I just really loved. I loved most of the stuff on there. Thank you. But Cottonmouth, I was like, like I stopped and was staring at this for like 20 minutes. Like, what does it mean? Okay. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so describe Inquiry. it to us for those who haven't been to Sheldon Scott Studios. Well, no, you should definitely go. You should always go. You know, because it is, um, you know, and yeah, definitely look it up. Go to my portfolio and look in. Um, look in the artworks and then just click on uh, Cottonmouth there. Mm-hmm. It's like out of the first series of work that I've ever made. Um, and it, it really is, it's a visual depiction of um, my own personal rectification and journey around race. And, you know, finding and building new relationship with blackness. Yes. Um, that was um, empowering, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to... Um, like degrading or making... Like, absolutely. Everything that you learned growing up in the South about, like, blackness and what was bad. And what was being, right. You know, being darker skin and, like, all of those things. So finding that arc and, you know, it really was based on a series of dreams where I would um, just be choking on cotton. I was like be pulling like this endless amount of like cotton and stuff wow. like, out of my mouth. Um, wow. And it's just like a series of nightmares that I just had that definitely aligned, became a metaphor for my relationship for race, like understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, it was uh, a piece that I um, asked a friend of mine um, a Photographer by the name of Josh Coleman to shoot mm-hmm. um, for me and recreated um, this photo-based work, and um, it it really is um, you know it's it is definitely I as a um, as the maker of that work and the author of that work I really it I have a very unique relationship with that piece. Because like you go into making a piece of work with tremendous amount of intent, you mm-hmm. know, you know what you want to say, you know what you want to see. Mm-hmm. So like when it's done, when it's ready, like you know, you recognize it. You right. Know, it becomes familiar. Like that's it's it. Like right. That. It's like that's it. You know. So having that moment and like you know, knowing that this is the image that does what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that was you know that was initially that was all I thought that I had to to build and recognize in that work. Mm-hmm. 
but um, you know, one day I was sitting in because I didn't go to art school and I never had the luxury of a formalized critique. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to invite artists and um, uh, collectors and all these other people to come into my space right. and like you know take me through my work, mm-hmm. you know, talk me the journey, tell me about what you think as an artist. And um, one of um, it's a awesome artist by the name of Jefferson Pender. He's also an educator. Mm-hmm. He's actually at um, Chicago School Institute of Art. Uh-huh. He's from D.C. Shopping. Uh, yeah. Um, he was teaching at uh, College Park at the time. He came in and he saw this work and he was like, you know, have you seen ectoplasm art before? And I was like, Mm, no. no. <laughs> What's that? All I knew of ex- ectoplasm was that was Slimer was. Yeah, right. like, I was just watching the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Too. I'm like, I'm like uh, that's all I know. Egon. Yeah. So he took me, you know, and like we I immediately went to um, uh, Google and Google ectoplasm art. Yeah. And then I looked at this artwork, and I mean, I was just floored at the amount of parallels. And ectoplasm art. It was literally like people like having these cotton rags uh, and things coming out of their mouth. And what it was, it was a process of exorcism, and it was like um, supposedly a documentation of um, all that ails you coming out of your body, coming mm-hmm. out and manifesting in this cotton, this cotton form. Mm-hmm. And um, it just kind of blew my mind because it then took me into like a, it took me through like another lane, another lane. You know, within my own yeah. work. Like, and I really wasn't anticipating having that much discovery in my own work. Something right. that I made. Right, you're like, I was this like, is well, I know all this. <laughs> right. I made this. And it just kind of blew my mind. You know, because I really And it was exactly in line with everything that I was interested in, everything that I was, like, hoping to make, and everything I was having a discussion. Because mm-hmm. it was, literally it was, like, the physical manifestation of the exorcism of everything that was negative about blackness leaving my body. Yeah. You know, and then replacing that with an an empowered and an emboldened existence now, and an understanding and a programming that kind of led me to where I am right now because, you know, I was no longer interested in apologizing for blackness. Right. You know, I was like, no. In all the elements. Exactly. You know, no, you're going to appreciate this along with everything in my life. You're going to appreciate it. So a way of empowering that part of my identity, and that's exactly what I was depicting in this process, and that's exactly what was happening. You know, when they were making this work, so it was. It was just amazing. So you know, it's always one of those works that you know kind of scares me sometimes. You know, people. It does have a darkness to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they all have darkness. Yeah. Like you know, they all are. You know, I feel like they're they're all. I feel like most of my artworks are traps. Like they trap you with this aesthetic. Yeah. And when you go and you look at it, you're like, oh shit. Yes. What am I thinking? This is heavy. Wait a minute. No, this ain't cute. This ain't happy. People's like, why don't you have your own armor in your house? It's like, fool, you crazy. <laughs> this fails and we're conjuring up. Every day. <laughs> and then, you know, people would come to collectors and be like, oh, yeah, I have your work in my living room. And I look, I say, like, shit. Y'all some brave motherfuckers. <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, that's just all about, you know, individual relationships to it. But, no, it's like, you know, cotton mouth is definitely one of those things that, you know, I'm still... You know, I feel like there's still opportunity for discovery. And it also opened me up the idea of discovery in all of my works. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you work in a very conscious space. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about and you, you contemplate works, you know, sometimes for a lifetime. You know, because these things come at you and they stick with you yeah. for quite some time. And you think about how to manifest them. And then you manifest and you make and you produce these things. And then there's still more opportunity in there, even after all that time that you spent. Build. You know, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's what makes... You know, that's what makes me happy about art. Yeah. yeah. 
I think what I love about your work is is the level of blackness that is just, just undeniable in all the images, even the ones that you're not in. But I also love the fact that you are in them. So what led your decision to not use like other people in your work? Because, you know, some artists no. will have the same... For sure. You know, but they will use models or someone else to represent what they their feelings. Yeah. So yeah. why you? I mean, you're attractive and it's cute. I love looking at you, but... Okay. <laughs> I'm also available. Right. Oh, snap. Y'all hear that? We're going to have his oh. number and the hashtag. Exactly. Go screen that. Go slide up in the DM. <laughs> um, no, um... You know, self-portraiture obviously is a big through line in my work. Yeah. Um, you know, and even in, um, you know, like further back in my practice when I was storytelling, you know, it really was about, you know, it was a cathartic process for me. Mm-hmm. You know, before I did all this, I was a psychotherapist and I worked in mental health substance abuse. And are, you, are you reading me right now? Oh, my God. <laughs> I got your assessment. You know, right? <laughs> oh, Lord. Exactly. You should go down. Like, <laughs> trying to find. T- I mean, interview me. I got a whole psychological profile right here. I got her file. Exactly. <laughs> so um, no. So like, autobiographical um, expression is very important to me. Because mm-hmm. um, it's very important that you know I feel like I demonstrate my own struggles. I, you know, and very publicly I, I demonstrate my own personal assessments, like yeah. you know, the things that. Um, you know, things that are very hard to deal with, like, you know, I appreciate dealing with that in the public form, yeah. um, you know, because it's, it, you know, for me, that process, um, it brings in self-accountability, mm-hmm. you know, as how do you know, how do I keep myself um, in line? Um, you know, I came from a space as a child where um, I was not very liked, oh. you know, I did not enjoy um, the favor I guess that I have now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not a function of my existence, so dealing with that publicly and openly is very important for me. Yeah, um, and I think it's important um, because, like you know, I think we we have an obligation to set examples or create pathways, or you know, when we're coming through the darkest forest, like we have a responsibility to cut down trees along the way. Right. Um, you know. And that's not to make anyone's experience easier or different, but it does serve a function of letting them know that their experience is not a limiting one. Mm-hmm. That there are opportunities, that they know that there is something hopeful, that there is something working towards. Because you don't ever want to, um, you know, allow someone, you know, to go along thinking that their situation now is, you know, inevitable for infinity. Right. You know? Right. So. Um, yeah, so bringing myself into that and letting that process happen uh, and publicly is is incredibly important. So using myself as a canvas, mm-hmm. and you know that's my primary function. Like you know, my primary medium is my body. Yeah. You know, as a performance artist. So um, and things that you see are built around the performance. So the use of that materiality, you know, when you're thinking about the body as a material, um, is the through line to the work. It's what connects the the photo-based work to the performance. It's what connects, um, you know, the objects to the performance. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, the relationship to those objects are demonstrated through performance. And then I said, this is the hammer I use, this is the shovel that I use, and this is 
you know, the extension of, of my body, you know, so everything is thought about in that way. So it's very, like, you know, like the sacrament of the body. It's very religious. I use a lot of, like, um, liturgical references in, in, my, um, in my work, and that's just because I believe that the, the church is the longest-running performance art piece. No. Ooh, that's going to segue us right to our little ending segment, but we'll save that as a surprise okay, all right. <laughs> when we get into the church. Okay. Okay, so I also want to talk about two more things before we move on. Sheldon for DC, please enlighten the, the listeners about this. This was so great. I'm like driving down DC, I see these yellow signs that say Sheldon for DC. I'm like, yay, I'll vote! <laughs> you have my vote! And I'm like, well, what is it though? Okay, exactly. like, what am I voting for? So what are you doing? Right, um, but you got it though, brother. Exactly. No, I mean, literally, there's some people who texted me on November 8th saying like, I don't see your name on the ballot. <laughs> I was like, bitch, you get your dumb ass in that ballot. <laughs> like, I wrote you in, no. Home. <laughs> I wrote um, you in. Yeah, no, so Sheldon for DC was a um, per, um, campaign as performance. So it was um, a durational performance art piece mm-hmm. that was uh, produced by um, Washington Project for the Arts. And um, it really was about, I mean, it was a real issues run for a fictitious position called the um, Minister of Culture for the District of Columbia. Mm-hmm. And it was really a way of like trying to breach a conversation with the city, um, you know, the administrators and the city's population and broad um, about rethinking our relationship to culture and arts in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just feel like from the top down, the relationship is just, I mean, the relationship is just very simply put fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the whole discussion about like, you know, arts and development is about what can art do for development and the reality is it's it's the question should be what can development do for art mm-hmm. you know because art and culture are really what drives this city it's yeah. always driven this city like you know someone who spent a lot of time on u street people didn't come uh-uh, to U yours street, truly okay yeah <laughs> you know but people didn't come to u street for chicken and waffles and hamburgers right like, people came to u street because there was spoken word because there was community because there was poetry because mm-hmm. there was storytelling because there was like music and dance it was fun you know, <laughs> but it really was the culture you know because it was mm-hmm. jazz like people came there for the you know all the anchors were cultural anchors. right you know everything that made it that, that neighborhood attractive it wasn't mm-hmm. the pretty building it wasn't the sidewalk it wasn't this broad concept of broad and racist concept called safety right you know it wasn't about that you know mm-hmm. it wasn't about this broad and racist concept known as cleanliness right you know accessibility like all of these like code words um, you know it really was about going to a space and having a rich cultural and artistic experience it's true and then because of that all of these other elements started to find their way into that physical space. Yes. And then going to turn around and flip the script on artists and cultural producers and say, well, what can you do for me? Right. Bitch, I just gave you access to <laughs> right. I did it. acres and acres of land. And like, you know, and you need to pay me for that. Yep. And, you know, so the reality is like, you know, I'm really interested in like f- switching that framework, you know, and it's also a way of like building community because mm-hmm. nothing builds community stronger than culture, cultural right. practice and artistic practice, mm-hmm. you know, having people gather around a particular experience, um, all sharing and all interested and willing and just enjoying, you know, a particular event um, based on its cultural value. I mean, that does that. 
in, in ways that you know you just couldn't measure. You couldn't you couldn't follow that. You right. couldn't put that in a in a in a in a, in a few words. So yeah. So thinking about that, like you know, I really wanted to like switch that up and say, hey, you know, let's rethink this because we have an opportunity here as a growing city, mm-hmm. as a growing wealthy city. Right. You know, to really invest in the continued expansion of arts and culture. And let everything else follow. Right. You know, and, um, you know, I think for some parts, you know, people kind of stood up and paid attention because, you know, I was very surprised on how uh, viral it actually became and how supported the, the, that, that idea came. Yeah. You know, even though people were just like you, just like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm down for this. Right. You know, he's like, like, yeah. He's like, building a go go museum. Shit, yeah, uh-huh. I'm down for this. You know, um, and, um, you know, and I, and I think that it, it, it has, it's been stewing. It's like, you know, it, it kind of shifted. Yeah. Um, you know, but it really shifted, like, when we had to deal with the um, dreadful results of the real election. Um, yeah. You know, and it was like, okay, now we have, we have other hurdles now we have to challenge. Yeah. Because now we're under siege. It's not like, you know, before we just were unsupported. Right. Now we're actually under siege. Yeah. So it's actively in Coming. a position to attack us and come for us. Um, because we are the, you know, we are the uh, the biggest threat. Um, and particularly to someone with a fragile ego, um, as he does, like, you know, he, he really is, you know, the arts and culture is like the bane of his existence. Like, he took no time I know. Like, trying to attack PBS, which has always been a severe critic of his and has openly mocked him on Sesame Street. Right. You know, and like, you know, for someone to be so petty and so simple and so reductive as um, it is, like, you know, he, you know, he comes in and says, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to pay you back for that episode it's of Sesame Street. So immature. Right. Song. You know, so now we, like, really do have to, like, push for greater solidarity and, like, you know, a, a stronger definition of the community and really just understand that as artists, like, we have a responsibility to all communities, not to ourselves. Right. You know, and, you know out of that discussion came, you know, this idea that we need to reframe our talking points. Like, no, we're not looking for affordable housing for artists. We're looking for affordable housing for all people. Yeah, like, and why? And artists will fall in it. Yeah. You know, because, like, why, why would we decide that we're going to help one group of poor people versus another? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's a very problematic sentiment to think. And, um... So, you know, so that's what Sheldon for DC. And it's like, you know, we, we ran, we had campaign rallies. Yeah. Like, no one would debate me. I was looking forward to this debate. <laughs> I'm no sorry, you should have had like, me out there. Okay, no, but it was, <laughs> like, you know, someone was like, I'm going to run against you. And then they were like, actually, no. <laughs> they they were like, he's like, there's nothing to run against. <laughs> and we <laughs> you know? knew you would win. Exactly. So. It's like, I just, it's like, you know, because, like, you know, the issues were things that, you know, the vast majority of people can get behind. And like, um, I don't want a go-go museum. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> I want house museum. House right. music all night long. Uh, okay, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. You got Chicago people in there. Right. <laughs> Talking about house. But what y'all need to do is y'all need to, y'all need to tell people from New York that they didn't invent house. I oh saw that God. the other day and I was like, oh, They know. Trust me, they know. No, y'all did okay. not invent no goddamn <laughs> house in no New York. It's just like a New Yorker to take some shit. Everything. Right. I'm like, you guys, we in had a first. In 10 years, they'd be like, yeah, go-go founded in Brooklyn. Williamsburg. <laughs> right. <laughs> 2017. Like no, it was like, not. Really? No, it was not. Um, so yeah, so that's what it was. It was. It was a lot of fun. It was a big learning process. And you know, I am. I promised and committed to like make that some something actually actionable because that's what I really learned is that people really wanted ways. Yeah. To so um, we're working on that right now. It's 
they were working on this thing with uh, Desiree. I don't know if you know Desiree Van Frederick. Um, she used to run um, this beautiful, super tall. Um, she used to run Nomad Yard mm-hmm. on 11 New York Avenue. And um, there was a big uprising at 411 New York in the beginning of the year, and then the end of the year kind of ended with Charlotte for DC. So we created um, and formalized this thing called the Artist Union, which is a collision of those two movements. Oh, nice. As a way to get ahead of policy. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, because, like, you know, with this next mayoral campaign, like, the artists will be activated and mobilized. Oh, good. So our, you know, so our thoughts. We'll be definitely like we're not going to be talking through any arts organizations that don't It'll just be us. straight up. Us. We'll be talking to the actual practitioners. Yeah. The people whose livelihood depends on this kind of work mm-hmm. and this kind of infrastructure being built. And it will be political consequences to not listening. Yeah, yeah. this is this is excellent for artists. You hear that you guys, all you artists out there. Sheldon for DC. That's he's got our vote. An artist Union DC coming very soon. So stay on the lookout. <laughs> be on the lookout. Okay. One thing, this is going to be a sort of a transition, but also on the same topic. You were talking about storytelling, which is a big part of your life at this point, right? Yes, yep. And I was looking at SheldonScottStudios.com and came across a story about maraschino cherries. Now, what's what's the fuss? <laughs> <laughs> Sheldon has beef with maraschino cherries, y'all. And I'm like, what's wrong with them? They taste good in my pina colada. Oh, like. <laughs> Yes. Um, no, yeah, it was, a, it was a story about identity. I think there was a story about mistaken identity. I was somewhere in New York, I think. Yes. At the Bryant Park Hotel, and someone <laughs> asked for my autograph, and I signed her for um, Like, child, I don't know who she thought she was, who she thought I was to this day. But. And while I was listening, I'm like, who did she think it was? Chris Rock? Like, who? Um, I don't know. I was who? like, they say I look like somebody, but I ain't gonna call his name. Who? I don't always agree. Tell us. No, I ain't gonna tell you. Whisper it. I ain't gonna whisper. <laughs> it was his Actually, initial. I his name. Um, oh shit! What's that kid's name? Dana was his name. Will I am. Oh. No, no, no. No, what will, will I am? am. No, will before I am. Because um, uh, you know, I tell people. Uh, first of all, I think Will I am is five foot one. Oh, is he? Yeah, and then he had a. Get he out. had locks at the time, so he hadn't he hadn't had mohawks. Oh, okay, you know? okay. So this was like, they just putting all the little stereotypes. No, was that like, um, what's that comedian guy? Um, what was he in? Eddie Griffin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't like, oh, no, I Eddie. get like? You know exactly. But if it get me in the club, right? Eddie Griffin I'm here. Eddie Griffin. Right. <laughs> you want oh, me to like, break dance? You know he can break dance. Exactly. Like, I'm Edward Griffin <laughs> Junior. Exactly. He's my dad. Okay, so Maraschino yeah, chairs. Yeah, so Maraschino chair. Just talking about it. Um, you know, so like the whole process of maraschino cherries. Like, you know, <laughs> I was, that's what I tell people is like, you know, you know, they're cherries, so they come off the tree red. Right. But that's just not good enough for industrialization. <laughs> so they then bleach the cherries white and then dye them red again. <laughs> and like, I and love then it. they bury them in this like delicious this syrup. It's um, <laughs> familiar to formaldehyde. I know. And you know, and then like you know, people are supposed to eat this thing. You're supposed to put this thing in your body. And you know, the idea was like you know, when everything is said and done at the end of the world, it's gonna be only roaches and maraschino cherries. <laughs> I believe that. Too. Yeah. So I don't, I don't fuck with them things like the little, the little um, sugar bombs. Right. So know? in the apocalyptic America, if you see roaches, follow them because yeah. they will lead you to food. Exactly. You might not want to eat it, but a maraschino cherry might save your life. It might save your life until it gives you. Diabetes. <laughs> from one bottle from like. one yeah from one nibble okay so storytelling <laughs> is this like where your heart is in, as an artist 
Um, it, you know, it's a part of my identity. Like, you know, I don't, um, you know, I, I would love to say it's like having children. <laughs> it's, it's my first child. Yeah. Um, so there's that relationship there. But, um, you know, I love them all equally. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, it really is a big... You know, it, it informs. Like, I feel like good storytelling is a function of all art. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, good narrative sharing. It's, it's, you know, it's it's good work. It's 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 beautiful. And yeah. you know, you know, being a Gullah Geechee person and being from oh. the from the Griot region, uh, South Carolina storytelling was just it's just a part of our culture. Right. You know, that's what we did. Like, uh-huh. I didn't realize it. Like, you know, when we're sitting under the the hickory nut tree and like, you know, everybody's talking and going back and forth and sharing stories. That, that was a practice. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until I left and I uh, got experience in like formalized storytelling. I was like, yeah, man, this is, this this is, is my life, right? <laughs> this is my so, life. So, um, yeah, so that, that whole Griot culture, it's it's very important. It's like, you know, it's, it's the, and, I, and I think not just only for me, but it is the original art form, mm-hmm. you know, the telling of stories. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I have a, a true affinity for it. I do love, I, I do love it because it's, you know, it's instant, you know, yeah. and it's uh, very transformative and you can really move and shift an audience and, you know, in, in, in a way that, um, you know, like sometimes for other types of art forms, it takes a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, storytelling usually like seven minutes and you got seven minutes to move Make it pop. audience <laughs> in more different ways and like, you know, just taking them up and down and up and sideways. So yeah, I, I do love that. This is good. So I was going to ask you what your motivation for storytelling was, but now that I hear you talk about this and like how you have to move an audience within a limited amount of time, it reminds me of comedy to a certain degree because you only have a limited amount of time. I got these jokes. And so if I'm telling them and I don't get laughs, I'm like manipulating the jokes in my mind to like bring a high note, you know, just so I can get some laughs. So do you see similarities? Have you ever done comedy? I've never done like traditional stand-up comedy like how you've done it. Yeah. I know. How you you do it. (laughs) Right, how I do it. Okay. Look, so do you see, like when you're preparing, do you see similarities or do you kind of like call on points of comedy to kind of like boost up your stories? Are you just a naturally humorous person? I, you know, I come from a family of uh, class clowns. Yes. Like, you know, acclaimed class clowns. <laughs> My mom was a damn fool. <laughs> and I know a lot of you have, like, met her and, like, oh, your mama's so sweet. I'm like, no, that effort is crazy. Yeah. And she got a potty mouth. I love it. And, you know, and then she, she funny as fuck. She, yeah. <laughs> she says some shit and I'll be like, we call her Gaga. It's like, that was funny, Gaga. <laughs> um, but... No, like I feel like I feel like some of the strongest comedians have always been good storytellers. Mm-hmm. Like when you see Red Fox and Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, Eddie they're Murphy. telling stories. Yeah, you know, and they're Even comedic stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I mean, like they take you on narrative arcs. There's like this thing called literal travel. Mm-hmm. So there's literally travel. There's literally movement in what they're doing. Yep. They start off one space and they end in another space. Yep. And throughout that space, you know, the audience is just wrapped up in this humor. Bernie Mac. Dave Chappelle. Yeah, Dave All these guys are just major storytellers. They tell you stories. Yep. Like, you know, like the Dave Chappelle, like the series, you know, Charlie Murphy. About, rest in um, peace, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, rest in peace, Charlie Murphy, Rick James, and Prince. All three of them, those are stories. Those were full-out stories. Those are stories, and they have tremendous impact. And they're just, and I feel like um, sometimes the distinction and, you know, we kind of alluded to this earlier, but the distinction between spoken word and poetry and storytelling and comedy, sometimes they're like, 
interchangeable false, false lines yeah. that are drawn mm-hmm. and um, they're just like you know because like we don't you know you, it's an artistic practice where binaries don't always work yeah um, but there, there's opportunity for all that and I definitely use humor mm-hmm. all the time you can't resist yeah <laughs> um, but I'll have like you know I'm, I mean I'm talking about serious things you know I'm talking about you know the time that my mama beat me because I was showing off for being gay. Right. You know, and there's <laughs> parts of that story that are funny as hell, and then other parts are like, uh. Like, you know, really? Right. And it's funny, like, you know, you tell that story over and over again, and each time you get a different response from the audience. Yeah. Sometimes the audience gasps, and I'm like, oh my God. You what know, and then sometimes saying, right? they just like guffaw. They just bust out the like, oh, mama beat him with a, a stitching card. <laughs> You know, but yeah. it's like, but you just create an opportunity for people to relate and be in that moment, and then like they go with whatever's natural. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's very important. Like, and I accept either one of those. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Mastercard, Visa, American Express. Like, <laughs> you know, any kind of response, like you know, work. It's a value. That's funny. Um, so yeah, no, and I, I, I do admire some of the strongest comedians. I mean, I, I feel like some of my. Um, you know, biggest inspirations, like the people I mentioned, actually come from a quote-unquote comedy world and are considered comedians. Yeah. Um, more so than like the traditional storytelling. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, like Spalding Gray and like uh, Mike Daisy and like those people who like you know just tell stories. Um, you know, I feel like the vast majority I have much more comedic influence. Yeah. Into my work because it's always interesting to like, deliver a very heavy message. And in a very comedic way, mm-hmm. you can talk about something. You know, that's like the beauty. That of takes comedy. skill too. You can talk about some of the heaviest shit. Yeah, because sometimes if you t- if you go too heavy, you'll lose that audience, Ooh, and they'll yeah. just be staring at you like, "Are yeah. we really talking about this?" Wow. And you're you like, know, yeah, <laughs> it's so, a joke. It's a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, um, guys. So yeah, and that's the craft, and that's the talent mm-hmm. is to be able to do that to make me, you know, to make people laugh at some of the hardest and darkest things in their life. And that's what people want to do when they come to the show. This is great. Thank you for coming again. Oh, yeah. We're going to switch gears. All right. Okay. We're going to talk about shade. Oh. Oh, Okay. Folks, I am not prepared for this. I'm just going to say I'm going to claim right now. The subtle art form of shade. Yes. Now, the definition I'm going for shade comes from a movie that I love dearly. Paris is burning. Oh my God. That <laughs> is probably one of the most value um, psychological and sociological references in recent times. I love that movie. It, it just has really impacted and changed the world. And I know people, and you see people are continuing to try to reinvent this. It can never happen it again. It can never it can happen. Only have it's happened only it. Once. That is it. It's, you know, it's it, it's it. It's yeah. like, okay, so if you don't know, Paris is Burning came out in the 80s? It came out in, I think it was released in 91. Okay. It was shot from like 87 to like 90. Okay, yeah. and it's about the ball culture, honey. Yes. The bowls. Yes. Okay. Particularly um, people of color. People of color in the bowls. Oh my gosh, and if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Documentary style. It just gives you all your life, all the phrases you think you just found out about were originated there. Mm-hmm. Namely, Shade. Okay, yes. so Shadow, before I give the Dorian, what's her name? Dorian Corey's Dorian definition of Shade, I want to know what your personal definition 
Oh, goodness. <laughs> is this the Jeopardy definition of shade? Yes, you know, the shade was a question on Jeopardy. Yeah, Stop no. it, was it? Yes, it was. And Alex Trebek had to... Um, Yoga snack or something, yeah. snap. Oh, man. I was like, is this... For, somebody must have made This must be Saturday Night Live. No, it was real. It was real. Uh, it has entered the, the, the commoner's lexicon. You know. It should be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's also a function of code switching. So, it's a, you know, it's, it's a little, like conservation efforts that should be put around that kind of language but no anyway um, my answer to um, what I think shade is or what I kind of know shade is is, is and it's not just words it's all, also can be action uh huh that's what I was going to ask yeah. you can it be a look too yeah it can be many different things like I think <laughs> if people think of shade they think it's like some kind of verbalization it doesn't no. always have to be that because like you said then you start to blur the line between like what's a reading and what's a shade right we're going to get into that like, you can shade somebody by activity you know just like you see me coming out the house, but you still gonna pull off. Because <laughs> right. you had to sit there and wait two minutes. Yeah, right. I said, bitch, I know you saw me come out the <laughs> and you just gonna pull off, and now you're gonna answer the phone. That's, that is shady. That's shady. I was like, I know you saw me. <laughs> like this little boy today at the grocery store was leaning all on top of my groceries, and so I didn't. I never said anything to him, but I was just looking at him like. Just try it. Like, it was so much shade that his mother was like, Jeffrey, what you doing? I'm like, right, get him. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to look at his ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, it's just like, yeah. It's all, I guess shade could be an inaction, too. An inaction. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Dorian's definition is, and now, you guys, this is in context, so it's not just like, the definition of shade okay. is such. Okay, if I'm a black queen and you're a black queen, we can't call each other black, black queens. queens, okay? That's not that's a read. That's, that's just a fact. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we talk about your ridiculous shape, your it's saggy face, face, your tacky you clothes. Face. Then reading became a developed form where it became shade. So shade is, I don't tell you you're ugly, but I don't have to tell you because you know you ugly, right? And that's shade. Okay, that, that, that right there. We have to give her... Uh, Dorian Corey is just, I mean, she is a gem. She is a gem. I was like, now this is my inside. Okay. Heads, like the, the little voice inside your head is her. Like, okay. <laughs> she's the one that speaks Dorian to me. Dorian Corey like, on your shoulder. Like, girl, you know you don't need to do that. All right, well, yeah, you been, don't listen to her too much. You around and wrap somebody up in a mummy case and have them stuck in your trunk for Wait, 30 what, years. What happened? Oh, you didn't know that? No! Yeah, when she passed away, they found a mummified body in a chest. Stop! That she, had, she had been moving with her from apartment to apartment over the years. And then she had a note on there saying that this person broke in my house, so I killed him. And then she mummified him. Stop it! Yeah. So, you want to talk about shade? And it said, if you want to look, and you know, these are people who have watched this movie a million times over, there's always a bust of, um... <laughs> Uh, King Tut in the back of like all of her shots. Stop! There's like a bust when she's in the mic and when she's in the in the room doing her makeup. You can see the bust in the back, and she always got cats with her too. Right, so like right. all of this like Egyptian reference, and then you know there's a cat in that dressing room, and then when she's all made up in the back in this in this very scene that you have here on the mantle. There's a uh, there's a bust of King Tut in the back. Like mummified, like wrapped like a mummy. He was mummified. Stop yeah. it! This is she, like flowing my mind. A, they said she had done a process. She drained the blood, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so Dorian Corey is no joke. There's actually a play about it. I think the play is called like something like a mummy in the closet. 
I, you are helping me out. A yeah. mummy in the closet. I have to. Thinking something like that. Dorian Gordon was no joke. Google <laughs> is going to get fired up. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you leave. Okay. So we've got three examples. Okay. And you're going to have to tell us Uh-oh. which is the shade, which is the read, <laughs> and which is the real. Okay. Okay. The first one we'll, we'll do together. Okay. So this is about someone that's overweight. Okay. Okay. Your shirt fits a little snug. You may want to change. That's okay. Okay. You know which one that is. Okay. okay. The second one. That food was filling for some of us. <laughs> and number three. Bitch, your shirt's so tight. You look like Winnie the Pooh in his little red crop top. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Okay. The first one. Your shirt fits a little snug. You may want to change. Um, shade real or read? Uh, I think that's read. That's a read? Okay, I think, okay. I think, I think. That's it, okay. What about this one? That food was filling for some of us. That shade. <laughs> that shade. A shade is undeniable in that no, one, right? Okay. Got that one correct. Finally, fit your shirt so tight. You look like Winnie the Pooh in his little red crop. Top. That's real. That's real? <laughs> that's not the read? No, I, I feel like that's what I think. When I think real, I think that's something my friend would say. <laughs> yeah, because if that's somebody you ain't my friend, bitch, we fighting. <laughs> right. Tell me some shit like that. I look like Winnie the Pooh. Okay, yes. Like okay. my friends would tell me, like, I'll be mad now. They told me that shit. And I was like, I'm going to get that bitch back one day. <laughs> yeah, right, and I'm going to change comment, my shirt. But I'll be right back. Exactly. So, you going to change once you get <laughs> red. <laughs> or the real, right? Okay. Shade, you might just still wear it and be like, I thought I looked cute. It's still rationalize it. Okay, yeah. It's like, but if it comes for you. Okay, the second one is about bad breath. Okay. Okay. Bitch, I don't know what you did with that mouth last night, but I need a break. And handsome some gum. <laughs> <laughs> um, which one is that? Okay, number two. Oh, okay, you want me to answer as they go? Yeah, which one is that? I consider that to be real. That's the real. Okay, that's the real. Okay. That's funny. It smells like a dog took a shit in here, but I don't own a dog. <laughs> What's that? Oh, God, that's shade. That is shade. Okay. And then, here, boo, and just hands up some gum. That's a... Uh, I don't know if that's a read either. That's a, that might be real, too. Yeah, okay. So, we're, okay. we're getting our reads and our reals. Okay, read, yeah, read it's a fine line. Because okay. your, your real friends can read you. <laughs> they can. That's you know? why we're confused, because we just get read so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting come for on the regular. Damn. Okay. The last one. Your friend's makeup looks crazy. Okay. Okay? OMG, I didn't know the circus was in town. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? It's, you know, especially if you're talking to somebody else. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. Are you in a group? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just say that? <laughs> While your back turned to the person, <laughs> that shade. That shade. Okay, very good. Here's another one. Blending. It's called blending. <laughs> See, I would consider that to be real. <laughs> See, your friends, we're going to have to evaluate your friends. Okay. They are mean to you. They're sitting right over there. Look, y'all are mean. <laughs> no evil apples. 
Okay. <laughs> what about this one? Come here, bro. Just let me help you out. And then you just start going to town. Okay, see, I feel that's really true. Cause you're just going to work. Like, I'm going to paint your face for you. Let me just beat that face okay. right quick. Okay, thank you for playing uh, yeah, Shade yeah. Reader Real. I went to Gummy Bears. Yes, you win some Gummy Bears. And just one more opportunity to showcase your storytelling skills. Okay. Well, it's the original story. Okay. <laughs> the oh, story my. is old as time. It's old as time. So, when I, okay, so about two years ago, my family and I went to South Carolina. We just went to Charleston. Charleston, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, while we were there, we did a few cultural things. We ate, we lived, we stayed at the, I don't know, right in that little strip where the, it's like a. You stayed on the battery? Oh, y'all bougie. Look, is that, it's like a, bougie. a market right down the middle there? Yeah, where the old slave market was? Yes. Oh, these are rich. Look. Chicago. <laughs> 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 you know, we the high, we the I south side. Coming in there, get all done. We kind of, something like okay. Obama's, but okay. like not, you know okay. what I'm saying? <laughs> you all could right. call me Malia. Obama but. before they was the president. Before they. Okay, so while we were there, when we were leaving, one of the gifts they gave us was the New Testament, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's a Bible written in Gullah. Yes. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gullah, for those of you who don't know, also known as Geechee or Sea Island Creole. Is this correct? I ain't never heard nobody say Sea Island Creole. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a language traditionally spoken in the coastal area of South Carolina and Georgia. Mm -hmm. Okay. So while in the past Gullah was mistakenly characterized as poor English, today it is recognized as a distinct language, one which I cannot speak. Okay, so we have this Bible that's written in Gullah, but then it also has like the regular translations. yeah translations on the side because when I try to read it, I sound like a slave. <laughs> <laughs> trying to learn how to read. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I was wondering if you could just Mr. read this the right -S -S way. Because <laughs> right. I'm like, y'all, me Christian brethren, this the last thing I want to tell una in this letter. See, and then I get into this okay. like Jamaican accent yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not even real. Oh, you hear that all the time. There's a lot of times when people are talking about talking in Gullah and Geechee and it comes out very West Indian. Yeah, and I start doing and like boggling. I'm just like, you know, yeah, me one for them. Fish and no. So we're just gonna have Sheldon share with us just a little bit of reading from this book so we can know what it really is supposed to sound like. Okay. Because I sound like crazy. Okay. I make up my mind that I have to send my brethren Ephroditus for go back to Una. Una means him or he or she or them. Una. He been to do Christ's work with me and been Christ's soldier for with me for the fight for Christ. He been an owner messenger who owner send send for help for me get my, my for me get more what I need. F yeah, Ephrodritus. Ephrodritus will foresee me or Uma or see me see all over Una too bad. He wants to see me very badly. <laughs> he opposed cause Una you say he been sick. For true, he been sick, and he come down there to, to that bot. God have a mussy upon him, and he have mussy upon me too. See? Mercy. I can understand this. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so Sorry. read the translation. What does so, it say? All right, so we're going to start 25. All right. So yet I, it, yet I suppose that it is <laughs> yes. to send you to Ephrodritus, my brother, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. Yes. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard 
that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on not him only, but also on me. So yes, um, this is very <laughs> interesting, right? Because uh, most people don't know that uh, Galagichi people did a lot of translations mm-hmm. for the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine why this um, is in the New Testament is in this. But it's also, it's incredibly, this is an incredibly crude kind of translation. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because like, you know, the reading and the inflection, it's very much like how it's almost like it was done backwards. It's almost like they took English and then oh, turned changed it back it into yes. Gichi because got, uh, Argella, because a lot of the way that these things had been set up, like God have mercy upon him. And he, and he have must see pun me too. You wouldn't say it like that. You probably wouldn't say have. You say, God have mercy upon him in, in, in me too. Ah. But then, you know, like you say, you can say mercy twice. The one thing about Gullah Geechee that is very efficient. Ah, uh, okay. Know, we, lot, we don't use least amount of words. It might have been said, God have, uh, have mercy upon him and he have mercy upon me too. That's were, more for us to understand. That would be more yeah. to understand, but we'd probably say, God have mercy put me in him. Yeah, shut it down. And so, and so I have a been, I have a been so sad, more sad. And he says, and he said, so I ain't have a be even more sad. That's too many you words. You wouldn't say even more sad. He said, so I have a been sad either. Or yeah, because we say you know you can't sad or you can't mad. What does that mean? Say, don't be like don't be mad. Yeah, you don't say you can't get mad or you can't be sad. You say you can't mad or sad. Mad and sad are active. I love it. You can't you mad. Say, yeah, you ain't mad. You say oh I got mad. You know somebody do something to you. So somebody hit me in my face. I got mad. I love it. And, you know, See you guys. This is how we learn stuff on yeah. the Super Puppy Podcast. Okay? okay. If you're in the bookstore and you want to just read like you haven't learned how to read, okay, <laughs> and you read don't have a Sheldon Scott to exactly. translate for you, you go up there and sound like some of the black Israelites <laughs> that be on uh, Chinatown and Columbia Heights. <laughs> Try that shit. Dude. That you is sound just like a exact- like, You don't sit your ear. Get a ass down. Man down with capitalism and that's a nigga you got on Jordan. Okay, stop it. I can it. see your Jordans underneath your dress. And why you roll your eyes <laughs> at me? I don't even know you. Yeah. They be mad. But, uh, yeah, but definitely look up uh Gullah and Geech culture and language. There's a lot to learn. I'm working on a storytelling piece um, that's gonna talk about um, what I'm calling the Great Stay. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a examination of like when Gullah Geechee actually became a pejorative. Yes. Um, because reality is the Gullah Geechee people um, are descendants of a very intelligent group of people. Like I said, we we did um, a lot of translations for the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we come from a particular region of Western Africa um, where there were more settlements. So a lot of us that came here were practicing Muslims mm-hmm. and we spoke and read uh, Arabic fluently and then you know, obviously spoke our tribal languages and then we came here and created a whole patois which was a way of us to not only communicate to the white enslavers but also to other um, Africans, um, displaced Africans who came from other tribes and we didn't share the same mother tongue. So when I'm reading I need to change my accent from West Indian to now West African. 
Well, no, you know, you're <laughs> like, Okay. Yeah, because it is. I got to practice. It is, you know, it is a you know, there's English influence and this things like that. But it's, you know, I think one of the biggest functions of like uh, Gullah Geechee language is not not what you say, but it's what you don't say. Ah. There's a lot of inflection. You mm-hmm. know, I tell people it's an incredibly efficient language. You know, um, and you know, there's a lot of. You know, a lot of African language influence in them. You know, like the sucking of the teeth. Ah. You know, which says so much. We do a lot of teeth sucking down there. And you have said a million things. And <laughs> that one little... I love that. I'm adding know. that to my speech. Okay. Yeah, like... And, you know, and again, it's like an efficient language. And we, we, we really do... Um, Focus on like having very quickly, like, you know, the pace of our language is also very quick too. I love it. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. so wrapping up, where can we see you? What's coming up? I know you mentioned a few projects you're working on. Is there anything that we need to know about here and now? Well, yeah, recently I just got um, I just got accepted to residency here in Washington, D.C. Yay. It's the Halcyon House um, Arts Incubator. Mm-hmm. And this is the inaugural class, it's a nine month residency. And the project that I proposed was an examination of um, pedagogy um, and bias in early mid- elementary and early childhood education. That smiles on my life. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I'm really interested in exploring or impugning um, these concepts through performance and visual arts. Mm-hmm. So using visual arts to like expose bias and the stories and the lessons that we teach our children. It's um, and what they're expected to know. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So um, you know, it kind of started when I did this body of work called um, uh, folklore, mm-hmm. which was um, a study of the myth and legend of American blackness through story, song, and riddle. Yep. And I wanted to examine the very racist and the very um, the very toxic. Um, consequences of these seemingly innocuous stories and fables mm-hmm. and riddles that we told our children, and I focused on John Henry and the idea of John Henry. Oh, uh-huh. you know, I saw being, that. Yeah, being a man, mm-hmm. uh, being born a man with two hammers in his hand, you know, which speaks to the um, denial of childhood innocence of black male bodies, and we realize the real life consequences like of that when we talk about a situation like Tamir Rice who was a black boy doing exactly what we tell boys to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we tell him to play with guns, we tell him to go play in the playground, and we did everything that he was supposed to do, but he was robbed of that innocence because he occupied a black body mm-hmm. and then was subsequently murdered as a result of that. Yeah. And, you know, and how like these things um, really come to pass and start to inform our first learnings and understandings right. of our own bodies and other bodies and how when these police and these other people are in these in these life or death situations that, you know, the little bit of training that they have goes out of the window and they... All they see is black. And they come back to a space where um, you first learn and you, and you rely on the tropes and you rely on the very limited information and you start to react and interact with these bodies in ways that are, you know, mythological. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is why police, like, can shoot a black body 16 times in the back while he's laying on while he's laying on his stomach after he'd been in a car accident and was actually looking for care wow. and needed help. You know, this body was somehow interpreted in a completely different way it's because dangerous. of what it looked like. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a body in need, not a body in threat or in threat. And um, and I feel like we have a responsibility, um, you know, to you know for what we teach. So I want to break the bias if I can, and I want to explore that through continued look at 
um, bias as it um, uh, speaks to race, bias that it speaks to gender and gender identity, mm -hmm. and bias as it speaks to ability and disability. I love it. Um, and I'm going to work on this project for nine months and create um, some performance artwork and some visual arts work that all talk about these different things. You know, I'm going to pick probably one story or one fable from each one of those things mm -hmm. um, that is a part of early childhood education. And then at the end of it, I'm partnering with uh, Teaching for Change to create an anti-bias curriculum that will empower teachers to not only be able to detect bias mm -hmm. in early childhood and early elementary education, but then also to be able to teach through it. Yeah. You know, so as we're telling stories and, you know, you have boys and girls and like all these other things like you know, we have to understand, mm -hmm. you know, that we are laying out the basis for rape culture when we talk about something like the giving tree. Right. Where female form gives everything of its body to this male form but no exchange. So the idea of equity, you know, and then what we're teaching boys and how we're teaching boys how to interact right. with female forms. It's like, no, you owe me everything. Yeah. You know? And like how like seemingly innocuous like you would want to think and you would want to believe that these things don't exist. But I am positing that they are that yeah, they do. are real and they inform us because everyone wants to say, you know, I didn't raise my child to do this and I didn't raise my child to do that. But you know, we don't it's all the other children. stuff that's raised. We don't raise children in our vacuum. Right. And think how it's important that we pay attention, particularly at these points in life and learning, how we really focus on what, what you know, what we actually teaching them and the potential vulnerabilities they're in. This is important work, Sheldon. I can't wait to see it. I know yeah. the outcome is going to be outstanding. If you need my... I do. <laughs> my pitch. I will yeah. offer it freely because I evaluate kids. So even those evaluation tools have biases in them. Because okay. like little black, black children don't necessarily know some of the same things that little white children are exposed to. Absolutely. But they're still being tested on the same level. Absolutely. So, you know, this is an interesting conversation. We could go on and on for hours. Yeah. But unfortunately, we're out of time. Awesome. This was great. I'm so glad you were here. We'd like to give a big, big super puppy thank you to Sheldon Scott. You can find him on the internet webs. Sheldon, yeah. Scott, Sheldon Scott Studios. Say that three times. Okay, <laughs> yeah. SheldonScottStudios.com. Do you have, do you want to give handles? Anything else? Uh, anywhere else? Yeah, you can find me on the gram. On the IG. Um, Instagram is my favorite. I'm much more interested in what people Me too. I don't see. Facebook is like, ugh. Um, Gives me a headache sometimes. Yeah. Facebook, definitely. Um, it is Sheldon A. Scott. There we are. At Instagram. Yes. So we will be checking you out on the IG. Um, we would also like to thank Sean. He's been really quiet today there. Sean, what's up with you in the background? What's up, Sean? <laughs> He's holding it down. Uh, we have a little company in the side, but they're, they're really over there <laughs> Give them some shout-outs. We also want to shout-out to Blue Microphones because they make us sound so eloquent and clear. I know. This is Tony, my guest, Sheldon Scott, and I say goodbye. All right, y'all. I can say this in Gichi. I hope to see y'all soon. I'll make sure I'll go check my website um, and, and, and order some art, too. <laughs> yeah, I have art for sale. You know, I need money. Look, that accent, I'm going to have it, y'all. Next show, I'm going to be okay. talking like that. <laughs> I can do a Gichi class. Y'all can come to Gichi class, and I can teach y'all how to speak Gichi. Y'all can sound, sound like me and not sound like people from West Indy. We ain't know them people. Yeah, that's where I was going with my Gichi language. But, you know, if you teach me, I'll be just... 
the whole show will be. <laughs> I'm waiting for Major Hype to do a, a Geechee person. Yes. Okay. You guys, thanks for a great show. Um, this is Tony, and I'm out.